KFI AM 640, Bill Carroll. If you didn't hear it yet, I uh, you might be surprised to hear the president actually use the N-word. In an interview, in the media, now he says, you know, it's not mainstream media. But he knew it was going to go mainstream. That's what I think is funny about it. But we're going to do that coming up at 1220. But from the KFI News Department, Eric Leonard is covering the story that, you know, I'm all over today. The shooting of uh, a citizen unarmed who had a towel around his arm in Los Feliz back on Friday night around 6.35. Rush hour, crazy busy there at that part of Los Feliz, right down by the entrance to Griffith Park. And uh, he has some new information about the police officers involved, and we thought it was worthwhile getting an update from Eric. Thanks for talking to us, Eric. Appreciate it. Sure. Can we go over the basics of the story? Because I'm not going to assume people just tuning in at noon have necessarily heard the story. So you can give us the once-over on it. The LAPD says that two officers whose job it was to patrol Griffith Park and the area around it were driving down Los Feliz Boulevard Friday afternoon or Friday evening. They had no radio calls. They had nothing they were specifically being sent to check out. And as they were driving up the hill, sort of to the crest of Los Feliz Boulevard, a uh, man from the sidewalk or the grass off to the side of the street began charging towards them in what they're calling an aggressive manner. And he had his two arms outstretched in front of him as if he were holding a pistol, except they say the officers couldn't see what he was holding because one or both of his arms were wrapped in a towel. And they... uh, According to the LAPD, the two officers gave some commands and some orders to the man to stop and put his hands up and get on the ground, drop whatever he was holding. They say the man didn't do that and was shot and was uh, taken to the hospital where he survived his injuries. The LAPD but says... But they're pretty serious injuries. Pretty significant. The LAPD says that the uh, they know who this man is. They're not making his name public, as if any of us would know it anyway, but they're not doing that just yet because they're still trying to get in contact with his family, considering it's been several days. Uh, it may kind of sort of sounds like maybe this person was uh, a transient living out on the street somewhere. Um, the nature of what went on between the officers and this man is, uh, as far as we know, the only account so far is from the police officers themselves. The patrol car they were driving did not have any video equipment in it. The officers were not wearing body cameras. That hasn't made it into that part of the department yet. And the LAPD renewed its call today for anybody that was driving through the area around that time to busy, busy street, Los Feliz Boulevard, uh, right outside Griffith Park, who may have either seen the shooting or saw what this individual was doing in the minutes or the hours prior to the shooting, all of that might be really helpful for them to figure out what was going on. And so they're uh, they're asking for anybody who witnessed it to uh, to please call. Did they offer the detail about were the officers in the car, out of the car, standing next to the car before that, that verbal exchange about drop the gun? It sounds like they had gotten out of the car at that point. But the in the incident where they first came in contact with this guy and saw him, they were driving down the street. Okay. Because that sort of changes the, the, the description. I assume you use their word, was charging at them in an aggressive fashion. Those are their words? I believe it is. Let me, yeah. uh, I'll find it for you. Please hold. 
Here's uh, Commander Andrew Smith, the uh, department's head spokesman. And their job is to patrol Griffith Park. It's an assigned car, and that's what they do is patrol Griffith Park. At some point, they were caught in traffic, and this suspect approached them in their vehicle. He had one of his hands wrapped with a piece of cloth, so you couldn't see his hand, and he held the other hand up as he approached their vehicle, um, hands together, pointed it basically at the officers, and moved towards them in what's been described as an aggressive or assertive manner. Aggressive or assertive manner. But not so aggressive that they had to stay inside the car and ask them to drop. They had time to get out of the car. It sounds like it, but keep in mind also, the uh, the LAPD's initial version of events from a police shooting is fairly suspect, not in the sense that anyone's trying to mislead anybody, but there is a severe lack of information that is publicly available because the officers who are involved are immediately segregated, they're supposed to be separated from one another. They are not supposed to talk until it's a controlled interview with the people in the department that investigate these things. So the only account we're getting is probably a third-hand account from one of the first other officers who showed up at the scene after the shooting happened and may have said, hey, what happened? And the cop gives him two, two lines of information. That's what we're going on right now. The formal interview of the officers has probably been done at this point. The information from that interview is then presented to the chief of police in what they call their 72-hour briefing, which is not always exactly 72 hours afterwards, but fairly close, within about three days of one of these incidents, where the department's force investigators, the people that go out and look at this to find out if their own officers broke the law or broke policy, give a summary of what they found so far to the chief in no small part so the chief can decide whether these cops deserve to be back on patrol working at an administrative job while the rest of the investigation is done or maybe assigned to home we don't think you should be police officers based on what we've heard so far hmm. and what do we know about the officers particularly we well this specific? is a little unusual the officers that were involved in this shooting are former city police officers but not from the LAPD they worked for a department called the Department of General Services, which is one element of the city of Los Angeles, and it was their job for many years to provide security at city parks and buildings. If you visit City Hall, they're the police officers that would greet you at the front door with the metal detector and uh, let you in the building and make sure the building was safe. They open and close gates at parks around the city at dawn and dusk. Uh, it was several years back as the result of a political move that former Mayor Villaraigosa ordered that these officers who worked security assignments become rebadged and absorbed into the LAPD because it was a big campaign promise to increase the size of the LAPD to 10,000 officers. And rather than spend the money and actually hire new people and expand the department, one of the things that was done was to absorb some of the smaller ancillary agencies around the city into the LAPD so they could claim them as their numbers. When that happened, these officers who were police officers prior to joining the LAPD, but they were officers at a, a different level according to the way the state categorizes training. Um, they were given, I think, two or three weeks of academy training and then three months of patrol training. Then they became LAPD officers, but the majority of them have remained assigned to the same jobs they had before they were absorbed into the LAPD. Case in point here, patrolling Griffith Park and the areas around it. They weren't out responding to radio calls, although if there was a 
a big emergency, they'd go. They were specifically there to keep the peace in the park or protect City Hall or some of the other city buildings. Okay, so uh, that, that could easily sound like uh, a couple of glorified security guards are suddenly sent out on the streets to, to be police officers. But let's be fair. Could uh, Make me understand. You said a couple of weeks of police academy and three months of patrol. How does that compare to... Uh, standard training for an officer in Los Angeles. It's different, and it's different because, uh, not to get too into the weeds here, but in the state of California, there is an agency called POST, uh, Police Officers Standards and Training, that sets out the training requirements and a number of other requirements that are uniform across all police departments in the state of California. There are different levels of police officers that require, by law, different levels of training. And according to the LAPD, the level at which these former city premises officers had been hired is different from what your average LAPD officer would have gone through training-wise. It's, it's not as much training. The LAPD, in absorbing them into the police department, brought them up to speed on the LAPD's tactics, policies, rules, procedures, that sort of thing. Brought them up speed. Please tell me that means they went back to the academy for more training. For some some additional training. Okay. Uh, uh, but, and then it should equal then combined the same level of training as any other? Uh, I don't want to say that. I, do, I don't know that for certain. I'm, I'm working we'll on figuring so, it out. Right? We can hope that. We can hope that, of course. Yeah. Okay. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here. Or they might argue that patrolling Griffith Park is actually closer to being a city a building and uh, security officer than it is being a police officer. But you know, Griffith Park, there can be violent crime in Griffith Park. So, sure. And you've uh, got a gun and you're patrolling it, you probably should have full training. And there is no difference when it comes to the policies that they have to follow as far as using force or using deadly force, firing their guns. All of that is absolutely the same, and they would be expected to follow identical rules as any other police officer, any other citizen, really, but especially any other police officer in the state. So there's no abbreviation of any of their, of any of the expectations of their performance as compared to any other cop. Thanks, Eric. Okay, see you, Bill. KFI's Eric Leonard. So that doesn't answer any of my questions, but it does add a few more questions, doesn't it? I mean, maybe they got fully trained. Maybe it makes no difference. But now you you want to know, were they uh, were they trained properly for the job when they were absorbed into the Los Angeles Police Department as a whole? It's a good question, and it needs to be answered, I'm sure, sometime along the way. Someone will avoid that answer for us. Coming up next, the president drop, drops a few jaws with his use of the N-word in an interview. If you haven't heard it yet, we'll let you hear it and talk about it coming up next. KFI AM 640, Bill Carroll. Coming up at 1235, Supreme Court of the United States has struck down the L.A. Motel Registry Law. What does that even mean? Well, we'll explain it coming up. So it's a pretty interesting ruling, actually. The president went on some comedian's uh, podcast. He does out of a garage in Los Angeles. And he's making news out of it because he was talking about what had just happened in South Carolina, obviously, the shooting at the church. And it was on everybody's mind. It was that day, and uh, or at least it was the day after, and everyone wanted to know about it. And he chose this this podcast because he said 
he wanted to step outside the media mainstream, which he kind of described as being they put you in a cage like it's a wrestling match, good guys, bad guys, and you sit in the middle and you get attacked. And it's kind of true. That's unfortunately what a lot of cable news has come to in this country. But I'd like to think you don't have to go to a comedian and do their podcast to get the word out. Might it also be that he thought, you know, he wouldn't get any tough questions there? It'd just be a little lighter, more fun. Anyway, it's what he said and how he said it that got people talking. And uh, he used a word that in our country for a very long time has been considered unbelievably offensive. I don't think that he used it in an offensive way, though. I think there's a legitimate way to use, to use the word. It's the N-word. And a lot of people were shocked to hear him use it. In fact, that sort of became the story, not even what he thought about the shooting and about racism in America. It was just that he used this word. This is how uh, inflammatory the word is in our country. And maybe that makes the point that we still have a long way to go because we should be using it in a historical sense, but we're not. Some people still use it in a hateful way. I think context is everything. I thought it was laughable during the OJ trial that people were so careful not to say the word. Look, we're talking about life or death here, and we're like children, unafraid to say a word when we're describing somebody using a word or not using a word. But I also think there's a point where it becomes gratuitous, so... What I'm going to do here is let you hear it unedited so you can hear it in the proper context. And I'll warn you that if you're offended by that for the next 30 seconds or so, you probably don't want to be listening. And then uh, talk about whether that's appropriate or not. Here we go. In terms of uh, the African-American community right. and, and, and in terms of uh, racial relations, wh- wh- where are we with that in yeah. terms of when you came in, in your mind? Well, for, first of all, I, I always tell young people in particular uh, – do not say that nothing's changed when it comes to race in America unless you lived through being a black man in the 1950s or 60s mm-hmm. or 70s. It is incontrovertible that race relations have improved significantly during my lifetime and yours and that opportunities have opened up and that attitudes have changed. Yeah. That, that is a fact. Clearly, uh, and 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 it's not just a matter of uh, it not being polite to say nigger in public. That's not the measure of whether racism still exists or not. Look of panic on Todd's face. Yeah, we're just not used to hearing that word. I, you know what? I was actually surprised at how little it offended me when I heard him use it. I didn't find it jarring, but I was prepared for it. I guess uh, you know. I think that's a totally valid way. He's a black man. He's the president of the United States. Uh, he used it not to insult anybody. He used it to make a point. I don't know why we're even so focused on it. Uh, if I take that and turn it into a soundbite, we drop it in every once in a while, uh, and we think we can use it as an excuse because the president said it. No, that's just gratuitous. And words have meaning. And if words offend people, then I try not to use them. I'll find another way to do it. There are some circumstances where, you know, it's better not to mix it up and just be clear with, with what you're trying to communicate. But uh pretty powerful. I actually agree with... Just about everything he said there. I think he makes a good point. He's not being inflammatory about it. I think we needed to hear the president say that. But he's more focused on guns than he is on race relations. But it is true that I certainly didn't uh, live as a, a black man in the United States in the 50s or 60s. But I was uh, a kid in the 60s watching it on TV. And I was a white guy watching it. And I think it's pretty obvious things have improved a lot. They're not perfect and they have a long way to go. But things have improved a lot. The fact that the black man who is the president is saying that is not nothing. 
It's really not. But I still think we that it, when he puts the focus solely on guns, it really does miss the point. There's still a long way to go. And the fact that this guy with that attitude could exist and walk into a church and be welcomed with open arms, that's the part of the story I was thinking about all weekend. just stuck with me that he actually claimed that he thought twice about it because they were so nice to him. Why didn't he see them as human? Why didn't he see that? When they were being that kind to him, did he not have that? How much hatred must he have been bred with and fed for his entire life to be able to take out a gun and shoot down someone who just treated him with kindness? That's what we really need to talk about in this country. How do we get past that? What are we teaching our kids? Some people are certainly not uh, doing it well. Now we're focused on the uh, Confederate flag debate, which I think is equally important. It's uh, I know that a lot of people believe it means something else. But if you know that the person seeing the flag is likely to take it as something hateful, why can't we redesign it in some way that makes people feel comfortable? Because the reality is not many people would, would drop themselves off in a black neighborhood wrapped in a Confederate flag. Even if they said, no, for me, it's a symbolism of the history of states' rights or whatever their particular argument might be. It's to honor the war dead, the Confederate army who died. Whatever romantic history you may think it represents, you know where not to display it. You know where not to. So you know what it means. And we'll talk a little bit about that, too, coming up. And uh, you want to get into the history of this guy? No, I don't think so. Brian's saying, who's this podcast guy? I don't really know or care. I don't think we'll bother with that. He's well, com- you, comedian Mark Marin. Mark Marin. No, I know, but it's just I, I'm upset he got the interview and we didn't. He was in L.A. <laughs> we do interviews. President no. just happened to be in Highland Park. Yeah, coming up next. Exactly. He's just He used to just, live in there or went to school in that neighborhood. Yeah, right? that's true. Coming up next, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States has come up with a very interesting ruling in Los Angeles that I want to I want to talk to you about. Lou Shapiro is going to explain exactly what it means. Coming up next. KFI AM 640, Bill Carroll. The survey says L.A. is the best city in the world to find this. We'll tell you what the answer is. Top 10 answers coming up at 1250 sort of makes sense, though. It would be the best city in the world. Libby's right going to like this one. Libby oh, is the really? reason she this will is true. true. Oh. I don't even know if this was true until Libby moved here. That's a great tease for the one person right here in this booth. <laughs> Can't wait. You and people like you. What are you now? You're the boss now? You're, <laughs> well, you're just excluding everyone, Bill, with your tease. <laughs> okay. So for people like you, and there aren't... Hundreds of millions of Uncountable you numbers, out just there. like me. And you may have stayed in a motel at once in your life, which is why this is relevant to you. Actually, this one I'm having trouble understanding why it was all that relevant to me. But I guess if I was staying in a hotel room, I, I wouldn't want the cops to come along and just look through all the information, the guest registry. They could just come in and do it at any time. Why would they do that? Then again, why would I even know that they were doing that? But here's what happened anyway with it, okay? The Supreme Court has struck down a Los Angeles ordinance that allows the cops to check guest registries at motels and hotels at any hour of any day, day or night. 
a record-keeping requirement has no um, has no constitutional challenge. What does is the unfettered access to that record. Justice Sotomayor, that's what she's saying. That doesn't help me at all. Unfettered who, what now? Lou Shapiro, criminal attorney and legal analyst, is on the line with us to talk about this. What was? Where did this ordinance come from? Why was it seen as necessary? Do you know any of the history of this? Yeah, so the history is that some years ago, the issue was these motels are facilitating an opportunity for people to engage in drug transactions, prostitution, alien smuggling. So L.A. passed this law, which basically allows police to come in, review who's at the hotel to see if something's fishy that would necessitate going beyond that. Okay, so they had a problem. They thought this would help the police solve it, and they probably didn't look in the bigger context of well, does our country's constitution allow that? Right, and no one really challenged it. That was the thing. I mean, a lot of the hotel owners, just motel owners, I should say, uh, accepted this as law. I never presented any constitutional challenge to it, so it was just, that's the way it was. And finally, just recently, a few got together and said, hey, something doesn't feel right that the police can just come in during business hours and disrupt our business, look through our records. It just doesn't feel right, and they took action, and here we are today. It sounds like they were starting to feel like it was somehow used, being used to harass them and not so much that it was that they were protecting the privacy of their guests. Yes, and to quote uh, Judge Sotomayor in her decision, and, uh, she said, you know, but whatever the precise form of the availability of pre-clients review alters the dynamic between the officer and the hotel to be searched and reduces the risk that officers will use the administrative searches as a pretext to harass business owners. So that's what she's saying. She says, look, we, I understand that police need to come in and check records, but there needs to be this system where the first the owner can challenge that search to begin with. They, ha- they need to be afforded the opportunity to say, why am I being searched? To have a pre-compliance review in place where they go before a magistrate and say, why do they want to search my record? And once they can present that reasoning, fine, then we know they make an appointment, they come in and go from there. And they called it an administrative search exception. So how far did it go? Could the police show up at a motel and look in all of the records, the registry? Could they go in and look in rooms? How, how far did it extend? So it extended just to records, and that's what a lot of the, the media reporting didn't realize. It's not that the police were able to just go in and open doors on people that were staying in the motels. It was they were limited to the four corners of the documents that were sitting there in the lobby desk. The problem is, if they see something suspicious in those four corners, then what? Then they can just, you know, then they'll say, well, there's exigency, you know, exigency here. I can go in. I don't have time to get a warrant because that, that guest may just be leaving by the time I go get a warrant. So it opens the door to knocking on, on, on other doors and opening and so forth. And that's where the majority came in and said, sorry, you need to go through a pre-compliance procedure before you can go examining records. So, okay, just so I understand it, it may not seem like too much police power that they go through the registry, but if they used what they found in the registry to go knocking on doors, now they've gone too far. So it was it almost used as an, a, an end around a judge. Exactly. And that's My God, I'm a... starting to understand this stuff, Lou. It's amazing. It's a miracle. This is Lou Shapiro, criminal attorney and legal analyst. Now, they really d- draw a line and, and differentiate between a motel and a hotel in the law? Yes. They can't do that, and they have to provide uh, reasoning as to why it applies to one and applies to the other. The reason why they targeted motels is because, it, you know, the lower rate uh, presumably attracts lower quality of guests, 
which result in transactions and as things that people do not want happening in their communities. It's a generalization, doesn't apply to them all, but statistically, that's how the law got passed on those grounds. Hmm. And did the Supreme Court uh, see this as an easy issue? I, I, I hear the vote was actually close. Yeah, it was a very close vote, five to four. We don't see those often. And the, the argument really that was going on between them was, is this really intrusive or not? Uh, the dissent said, you know, we don't see the problem with police coming in once in a while and looking at the records to prevent an overall safety issue or, da- or threat to safety in the community. See, because that just seems, uh, Lou, to me, like a no-brainer in the other direction. It just sounds like a lot of police power. Well, that's what the majority ruled. The majority said there's nothing in this law that limits the amount of times the police can do this. So we can't just trust that the police will use this law in a reasonable way that doesn't disrupt business. And because it's too ambiguous, we got to say sorry. Go take it back and bring back, bring it, you know, bring us something new that maybe we will approve. Well, you know, it's kind of uh, I feel intellectually stimulated, Lou, that we talked about it. But does it really matter in the end? I mean, who's who's going to notice the difference? So these days it doesn't matter. The reason is that warrants are no longer obtained by waking up judges in the middle of the night at their house, having them sign off on it. It's all done through electronic means. Warrants are emailed to a smartphone. But I don't think there's going to be some major difference. There, you know, there may be a few, maybe some delay in the process. But overall, if the police want to get the records, they can get the records in a short time. Right. So this was unnecessary power. And maybe that's how the Supreme Court really in the end looked at it. Going, well, it's, you can't even argue that, it's, that there's an advantage to our society as a whole because of criminal activity in motels. There's an easy solution to it. So, no, we're not just going to give police power to come in and say, open up your records because I feel like it. Right. The big difference moving forward is now if the police want to get records, the hotel owner will have the opportunity to challenge that before a magistrate. They're, they get to say, why do you want my records? They get a chance to quash the subpoena, which they did not have prior to this ruling. Well, more work for for lawyers. That's always a good thing for you, right, Lou? Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Lou. You got it. Lou Shapiro, criminal attorney, legal analyst on this ruling on the L.A. ordinance that allowed cops to go into motels and just look at the, the records to see who was staying there. And then it was uh, off the, would often lead to further searches. Coming up next, the survey says that L.A. is the best city in the world to find this very specific and attractive thing. They'll be so excited to Ooh. know more about this. Yeah, I know. We'll get to it coming up next. KFI AM 640, Bill Carroll. The good news is, Todd, there's a lot of potential out there. The bad news when it comes to dating and you, we don't need to restate. It's kind of a given. They just did a survey commissioned by Expedia and the dating app Tinder. Libby's in. That's I'm already cue. past it. So past it. You're over Tinder? Well. You're taking a break. You're not over. Yeah. Let's be honest. I can't quit Tinder. You're new in L.A., so I'd like to know. Brand new. If somebody had asked you on Tinder, did maybe even took part in this survey. Tinder no. You? you know, they have once in a while little ads that come across as though they were dating profiles, and you have to swipe right or left to accept, you know, some kind of, of a survey. I usually skip it. Sounds tricky. Sounds it like is a little bit. Con you a little they bit. put an attractive person in the ad. Ooh, as well. oh, 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 no, wait. No, exactly. I'm about to do a survey. I don't want to do that. 
If somebody had asked you where are the best-looking singles in the world located, which city? In the world, remember. The entire world. It's a big planet. In the entire the world? The entire world. I would say, like, Barcelona or... Barcelona. That's... I like... It sounds somewhere exotic. Somewhere European. Maybe Brazil. Rio. Yeah. Rio, mm-hmm. huh? A lot of butt implants and Into bronze it. tans. Rio was only number two. Paris was next. I don't know. I think of a lot of arm hair somehow, Paris. But maybe that's changed. Yeah, Parisian guys are kind of a certain... I'm sure Parisian women, I think, are more attractive than Parisian guys. Miami was up there, but Los Angeles was number one on the planet. Woohoo! Not surprising, though, because people think of L.A. as just Hollywood. Right? They don't think of people... They don't, they don't think of... Uh, I don't know, Rancho Cucamonga or anything. They just think L.A., Hollywood, great-looking actors or actors, wait, actresses waiting on tables, looking to be discovered, hot, hot people. There's an element of truth to that. I think L.A.'s where attractive people come to be completely demoralized and destroyed. Yeah, definitely. My neighborhood has a lot of attractive people. It's It's kind of intimidating. Every once in a while, you just see somebody wandering by, like, how is that person not famous already, like just purely on how gosh darn attractive they are. I did notice, because I'm not dating, I did notice the wait staff is better looking here than in almost any city I've ever visited. Oh, by far. But that's because they're they're here for a reason. Some acting teacher said, with your looks and your limited talent, you could be a star, and off they come. And that's been true for decades. So, you know, that's that's what the dating pool is. I don't know if it's true once you get beyond the the immediate downtown bar club scene, Hollywood, Beverly Hills, whatever. Well, and once you get past the surface looks, there also are probably the craziest singles here that I have ever met in any city. See, I hear that from my single friends, too. They're like, Bill, be happy you're married living here. The, this city has the most shallow people out there. It, it's a stereotype that is absolutely proving to be true. It's really weird. It's a certain personality type that lives here and is single and just is so self-focused. I've never seen anything like it. Mm. There were some other things about this. Where do you think the least attractive cities for dating were? Probably Seattle, <laughs> where I come from. Seattle, no. A lot of pale people in Seattle from all the cloud might be it. No, um, 26% believed Istanbul was the most unfortunate-looking place. Really? Yeah. You know, they probably didn't get into cities in, like, uh, Iran, because how do you tell? Right. All the way in Afghanistan. Or the burqas make it hard to know. Or right. North Korea, where they don't have enough to eat. They probably skipped that as well. Seoul was very low on the list, too. They thought, that yeah, they found the very unattractive. 25% said Seoul, South Korea, was the most unattractive city. Hong Kong was third. See, I would think Hong Kong would have good-looking people. Yeah, because there's a lot of money in Hong Kong. There's all kinds of models. There's a fashion industry hub there. That's very surprising. I would have thought so. Now, just as an aside, the same survey asked, when is it appropriate to go on a vacation in a new relationship? How long do you have to be in the relationship? Americans said, "Mm, you could do it pretty quickly, 44%. Overnight vacation appropriate within three months. To go together? Yeah. Oof. You've been dating for three months. Elizabeth, would you go on an overnight stay? Three, three months? months? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the best way to get to know somebody, but especially if you take them to... Um... Yeah, but not separate rooms here, Elizabeth. We're talking about, you know... Oh, oh, oh. You're in oh. the same bed. Huh. Well, I think, if you're, I think if you're disciplined, you can pull it off and not have sex. I think pulling it off is because you're not disciplined. That's the... Pr- <laughs> How about one month? 
Oh, no, no, that's too soon. Only 14% thought it was a good idea within the first month. I wouldn't do that. 16% wanted to wait more than a year. How many? 16. 16. Yeah. No, that's too long. That's too long. But I will say the best way to get to know someone is to take a long trip. I took, I had a friend who I loved to death and I, I thought she's going to be the funnest person to travel with. We went to Africa. I wanted to strangle her by the time we were in Cairo. I'm like, some people just can't handle it. Like if they don't have like a full eight hours of sleep and a nice pretty bed. You don't even have to take the trip. You want to find out who someone is, pack for the trip. Pretend you're taking a trip. Oh. And then you will see who they are. Because a friend of ours, That's a former radio personality, this is how we're all going to end up. She house sits now. Oh, really? That's, yeah, we've all got to find other lives. She said, you can tell who families are half an hour before the taxi arrives. Because <laughs> there's so much stress. <laughs> Makes sense, though, right? It actually does make sense. Yeah. yeah. And she said, your family is the best, most mature family I have ever seen. And then five minutes later, Sylvie said, say goodbye to the dog. It might die while we're gone. And she <laughs> said, I, I just removed you from the list. You're I the, take it back. You're, you, have a, you have a terrible family. You are awful parents. I take it back. She had a dog die when she was away one time. She's, she's never gotten over it. Oh, my God. You're not kidding. She's still holding on to that. Yeah, she's still. Well, we still have its ashes. Whenever we met the dog, we have its ashes. In the house? In the house. Oh, that's awkward. They're no longer on the mantle, at least. I got, mm-hmm. the, I got them put away. Did you have a, did you have a lot of uh, fun on your day yesterday, Father's Day? Yes, I did, actually. Thank you for asking. Good. It was really fun. I hope that means a lot of sex. I'm I love sad. being dad. I love being a dad. You love being well, a dad? When you get a lot of sex on Father's Day, you're just, you need to be locked up. There's something <laughs> wrong with that's just wrong. Well, I didn't mean it Coming like up that. on Thompson Espinosa. All right. Mark comes back tomorrow, finally. But today, we're going to talk about, uh, if you're on the freeway right now, do you see a CHP next to you? Well, if you think he has a ticket quota or she has a ticket quota, that just may very well be the case. We're going to get into this little known secret. Oh, they lie about that all the time. They deny, deny, though. Coming up next, Bill Carroll, KFI AM 640.